In its quest to provide an open forum for discussion of controversial issues, this station allows hosts and their guests to express themselves without any significant censorship. You're advised that any views expressed by the hosts or their guests are not necessarily the views of Tuggy Entertainment or its partners. I am free. Thank God. I am free. I am. This is I'm Not the Woman I Used to Be. I'm Free with Minister Diane Jones. Ladies, this is the show that's here to give you stories of hope and healing from someone who has been there, someone who has fought back from the horrors of incest. Minister Diane's innocence was stolen from her in the land of alcoholism and mental illness, which led to her being emotionally, physically, and sexually abused by her parents. Yet in spite of the trauma of her early years, she went on to become a successful wife, mother, registered nurse, and minister of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Plus, she's a virtuous woman who can help you find that woman in your life. Don't let the weight of this world or things that happen to you control your life. This is I'm Not the Woman I Used to Be. I'm free on Toginet. And now, here is your host, Minister Diane Jones. That's right, people. Don't let the weight of this world or the issues and the sorrows of your past hold you back. You can be free. You can be free. This is me. Minister Diane, Miss Diane, Lady Di, I go by different names. Um, hi and happy Monday to you. Yes, this is another Monday. As we all know by now, it was a holiday Monday for us. Uh, Memorial Day weekend and a Memorial Day. And because it is an actual holiday, most of my shows don't air on an actual holiday, but because it is, I thought it would be good for me to acknowledge um, the holiday tonight. I don't get to do that that often. I want to recognize the families who have lost loved ones, who have had... um, Army, Navy, um, Air Force, um, what's the other one? Um, Army, Navy, Air Force. Baby, am I forgetting someone? I know you're there. (laughs) Well, Marines, that's that's the other one. I want to acknowledge family members who have lost loved ones, um, who have served in our country uh, in wartime and who have given their lives for our freedom. And... I want to acknowledge the veterans that are still living, starting with, um, well, starting with my own, my own husband. You know, there's, there's many times that I am thankful and blessed for, um, for what he has done, um, even most of it before I met him. But even now, I'm still reaping the benefits of his service to our country. And I just want to tell you, thank you, husband. Um, for for the time that you spent serving and um, for those qualities that I think helped to make you such a wonderful husband and 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 partner and um, my own father 
in spite of the traumas that I suffered at my father's hands, I can still acknowledge that um, he, before he went off the deep end, um, that he served in the Air Force for, for many years, and I learned a lot of things that I still apply to my life now about discipline, about having um, having discipline, about structure and doing things in an organized manner in a systematic way. And I think I got those things from the foundation that my father laid. In addition to that, I recently learned that my own grandfather, who I never met, my father didn't know his father. Well, I'm sorry, he did know his father, but he wasn't raised with his father. Therefore, I never met my grandfather. But I've been um, doing a history search and um, and um, have been researching my background. And I recently learned that my own grandfather served in World War, World War II. Yes, he served in, in World War II. So he was a military man. He was in the Army, was honorably discharged, went on to be a police officer and a postman. And then, wouldn't you know it, that uh, because of that legacy and that history, you know, my father was in the military. I ended up marrying a military man, and several of my brothers served in the uh, Air Force. So I come from a long line of... <laughs> military men and I'm a military brat and I just want to thank those that I know and love for their service and um, honor those of you out there who have lost loved ones. So anyway, um, I guess I shouldn't say anyway, I was getting ready to move on to my thought, but um, before that I want to say, you know, it's sad that we have to have such things or that we have to deal with such things as war and death and loss. Um, that is a sad thing, but unfortunately uh, it is something that that we do have to deal with. And um, I will be so glad when the Lord returns, because when Jesus returns and when he establishes his kingdom, he will put an end to all sorrow. And um, none of us will have to deal with those kinds of losses anymore. Right? Woohoo! <laughs> I can say woohoo or I can say hallelujah. Thank you, Jesus. Whichever way sounds good to you. So anyway, now I can say anyway, I had a good day today. Me and my hubby, um, we were invited to a barbecue, a family barbecue. So we um, went and we enjoyed the outdoors. I have to say, it felt like summer today over here on the East Coast. I don't know about on the West Coast or any other place. Um, I know some places are, are dealing with loss right now, some flooding and some some tornadoes I think I saw on the news. But um, hey, it was hot out here today. It felt like summer, really felt like summer. So tonight I am not sipping hot tea. <laughs> In case anybody is wondering, I am not doing no tea. That's right. No tea, no hot tea. I could have drank some cold, some iced tea, but I am, I'm doing lemonade right now. <laughs> I'm still doing lemonade. At 10 o'clock at night, 
<laughs> still doing lemonade because it was just hot. But we enjoyed the outdoors. We enjoyed good food. And it was really nice catching up. I hope y'all had a good day um, reminiscing. And, you know, sometimes that helps to, to heal wounds of, of lost loved ones is to think about them and the good times that you had with them and to laugh and talk about the good times that you had with them. So no tea. I'm sipping my lemonade. And guess what? I posted it last week. In case you guys forgot, I have a very another special guest with me tonight. I know this is a treat because I don't usually have guests back to back. <laughs> I guess it comes in spurts, right? Hey, what can I say? I just, you know, I pray about these things and when something pops up or when I hear about someone or I meet someone, you know, and then I go after them. And, and um, I heard about this guest on one of the other TogiNet shows, I believe it was called, and I hope I'm not saying this wrong, I think it was called The Parent's Plate. And I happened to, you know, be flipping through and seeing who was going to be on that day. And I saw the topic and I tuned in and I listened in. And so I got in, got in touch with this um, guest and asked her if she could be my guest because I like what she had to say on the show. I had the opportunity. She sent me her book and I got to read the book, Deliver Me From Evil. So we are going to have Kathy join us tonight. I think I have a few minutes before time to go to break. So I'm going to see if Kathy is ready. Kathy, can you hear me? I am right here and ready to go. All right. <laughs> I, I, it's hard for me not to take up my first um, my first segment, but we do have a few minutes mm -hmm. that we kind of start chit-chatting a little bit before we go to break. So how are you tonight? I am doing really wonderful. had a really enjoyable, relaxing day and uh, just winding down from the three-day weekend. Good. Good. Did you have a barbecue, too, or what did you do? We sure did. Um, my husband, I heard you talking about veterans. He, too, is a, is a veteran Vietnam, and um, my, my father was World War II, and one of my sons oh. is, is former Army, and I have... Um, Two grandsons, one who was just recently um, just recently left the Navy and one who's currently serving right now. So we're a military family, too, so we always kind of um, look forward to days like Memorial Day and Veterans Day and um, days where we can honor the military people in our family, whether, you know, in the past or, or current. So, so that's kind of what we did today. Good. Still there? I'm here. Yes, I am. Oh, okay. <laughs> we, thought, we thought we lost you. I thought I lost you. Yes. Okay. <laughs> We're here. <laughs> I didn't know we had that in common. I'm glad that we do. Isn't that cool? Yes. I think we have quite a bit in common, and I'm excited about talking about that. It's really, really neat to listen to you um, share about your father and grandfather and your husband and your brothers. So, um, as I said, a lot in common there. You know, what I found interesting, um, and I didn't plan to talk about this, but what I found interesting is that even though we didn't even know our grandfather, um, and I've heard this said, you know, I've read about things like this, but even though we didn't know him, to see, to see the generational things that are passed down. 
You know, that's really true. I, I see that in my own family as well, even where um, my husband's uncle, whom obviously I never met and he never met because he, he died on the battlefield in World War II before either my husband and I were born, and yet that seems to be a legacy that, that just kind of went down through both of our families. And it, it is interesting how that happens. Isn't it? Mm-hmm. You find that you have similarities that are, you know, seriously passed on in uh, either in the genes or I believe in some cases it's just a spiritual blessing, uh, depending mm-hmm, absolutely. on what you're talking about, you know, um, hereditary things that are just quite interesting. Yes, that's so, true. Well, I know now uh, we have about 15 seconds, so I know we're not going to get too far into anything. <laughs> okay. After the tunes, we'll we'll talk, okay? All right. All right. <laughs> Has a tragic past shattered your future or your now? Don't let it. This is I'm Not the Woman I Used to Be. I'm Free with Minister Diane Jones. And we'll be right back after these. We'd like to thank our sponsor, Liberty Christian Center, located in Box Elder, South Dakota. They are a non-denominational, Bible-based, Holy Spirit-led deliverance ministry. Pastor Charles and Romika White, Liberty Christian Center. Have you been laid off, fired, downsized, right-sized, or re-engineered out of a job? Are you unemployed or anticipate that possibility? Then tune in for Successfully Unemployed, hosted by Alan Sherwood, MBA, president of Sherwood Consulting Service. Successfully Unemployed will provide you a hope-filled and comprehensive approach to the job search process from an author who's experienced it all. Alan and his guests will cover all dimensions of a job search, physical tasks, mental attitude, emotional health, even one spiritual perspective. All must be integrated in order for a person to be successfully unemployed so they can then be successfully employed. This show is designed to help you move forward from job loss to finding or creating more fulfilling work. For more on Alan Sherwood, MBA, and the show, check out his website, SuccessfullyUnemployed.com. Then join us for Successfully Unemployed with Alan Sherwood, MBA. Thursday nights at 8, 7 Central here on Toginet.com. Thank God I am free. I am Welcome back to I'm Not the Woman I Used to Be. I'm free on Toginet.com, the show dedicated to helping women find their way back to themselves after innocence was stolen by incest and abuse. Helping you heal. It's what we're all about. It's I'm Not the Woman I Used to Be. I'm free on Toginet. And now, back to your host, Minister Diane Jones. Okay, people, I'm back. I have Kathy Macias joining me tonight on the air. She is an award-winning author. She's written more than 30 books, including the Extreme Devotion series of novels for New Hope Publishers. I had the pleasure of reading her book, Deliver Me from Evil, 
Uh, Kathy is very interested in women's ministry. She is a popular speaker for women's retreats, conferences, and churches. So I am very glad to have her on the air with me tonight. Kathy, if you would, tell us a little bit about you. Tell us a little bit about you and your background before we get to talk about your book. Okay, I'm always ready to do that. So, um, you know, I was born like a gazillion years ago. My grandchildren think so anyway. And um, way back when, you know, when you just because you lived in America and went, you know, were in public school, if people asked you if you were a Christian, you said yes. I mean, that's just you. You assumed everyone around you was. And we actually, this is how long ago it was, could read scripture. Um, in school. And so actually my very first um, Bible verses that I ever heard and learned were from the second chapter of Luke because of the Christmas story. We actually did the Christmas story from the Bible um, every year in school, and one year I even got to play Mary. So all of this time, though we were not Christians and not going to church, I was hearing the Word of God, which was really an amazing thing. You know, it was just wonderful that we could do that. And um, I did, my mom... (laughs) My mom wanted to raise us as Christians as much as she knew. She had a smattering of of Catholic background, and at one time she took me and my two younger brothers and sat us down and said she was going to read to us from the Bible. And so she started with the King James Version of of Genesis. (laughs) I think we all lasted about 15 minutes. That didn't go over too well. But... (laughs) But through the years, and my father also had been raised by... His German mother, uh, he, my dad was from Germany, although he came to this country when he was 18 and had been here ever since. But um, she she knew the Lord. She didn't know, have a lot of teaching because her parents had died when she was a young girl, about 8 or 10 years old. And she was adopted by Lutheran, um, a Lutheran pastor and his wife. And so she learned what, what she knew from them. And she always used to tell us, I have my Jesus in my heart. And I really didn't know what that meant, but I was fascinated with it. And, of course, because my dad walked away from his faith, he felt like everything he saw, there were so many bad things, he couldn't reconcile the bad things he saw in the world with a good God, and so he just um, rejected it. But, you know, my grandmother kept praying for him. She was one of those praying moms that didn't let go. And mm-hmm. um, So I, I kind of... Dropped into church here and there with friends. I, if somebody was going to the Catholic Church, I went. If they were going to a Baptist church, I went. Pentecost, didn't matter. I went anywhere I could. And when I was about uh, 15, I announced to my parents that I decided I wanted to be a nun. Uh, I'm not sure why, but for some reason I thought, that's where you find God. You know, if I were somewhere with this. So I spent a short period, about one summer, in a convent. And one day, one afternoon on Sunday afternoon, I was going to the service they call benediction. Now, every morning, if seven days a week, we went to regular Mass. But on Sunday afternoon, there was benediction. And the difference I noticed when we walked in that day was that at a regular Mass, you kneel or genuflect on one knee, but for benediction, you did it on two knees. So I, it all of a sudden struck me, I wonder why. So I asked the nun, and she said, because Jesus is present on the altar during benediction. Now, I didn't totally understand what she was saying, but I knew enough to believe the basic facts about Christianity. And I thought, if Jesus is the Son of God, He's holy, and if He's on the altar 
kneeling on two knees is not going to make me worthy to come into his presence. I think it was the first time I really became aware of sin, my sin, and, and that I was unworthy to come into God's presence. And I, But no one offered me a solution. And so mm-hmm. I left the convent. I walked away from church and, and God for 10 years because I thought, well, you know, I believed in him, but I didn't have a personal relationship. I thought there was nothing I could do. So that's kind of where I was for 10 years, and I went off to do my own thing, which turned into an absolute disaster, and, uh, mm-hmm. which many of us have, have learned through the years oh, yes. when, when we do that. So, right. <laughs> um, about 10 years later, I, um, my, my mother and both of my brothers by that time had come to the Lord, and one of my brothers first, and then the other brother, and my mom, and they were all praying for me. And of course, my mom was one of these. <laughs> she was so funny. She would send me, I lived a thousand miles away from them at the time, she sent me every version of the Bible that had been printed at that time. Um, she would write me these 10-page letters about, you know, how much I needed the Lord, and, and you know, I just kind of ignored them. But when I came to the place where my life just seemed so bad, and I thought, I can't deal with this anymore, I called my mom. You know, it's just one of those things we, we, we call mom when we need her, you know. All right. and, and she listened to me, but, you know, the one thing she said over and over and over again was, you need Jesus. And that was the only thing that really stuck in my mind. And she made me promise that when I hung up the phone, um, that I would pray. And so uh, I did. I, I got on my knees as best I knew how, and I'm not one given to visions, but I did in my heart, in my mind's eye, whatever you want to call it, I saw myself in a crowd of people standing on a dusty road, and they were many were screaming, some were crying, and they were all straining to see something. And so I, I, I tried to see what they were looking at. And I saw Jesus walking toward us, carrying the cross. He was beaten, bloody, um, just stumbling along. And all I could think of was that time back in the in the convent when I realized there was nothing I could do to make myself worthy to come into his presence. And I was, by the time he drew up even with me, I was weeping. And he stopped and he looked up and he looked past everyone else, looked straight into my eyes and said, I did it for you. And that's when it all fell, and all the pieces fell into place. You know, it became personal. It wasn't, I had heard over the years that he died for the sins of the world, and that's true, but suddenly it made sense. He died for my sins. What I couldn't do to make myself worthy to come into his presence, he had already done for me. And that's when I, I, I understood, and I mean, it was a radical 180 for me. I just, I never looked back. That was it. Oh, praise the Lord. Oh, that's beautiful. <laughs> That's beautiful. I understand completely. (laughs) (laughs) I knew you would. (laughs) Yes, yes, yes. Oh, my goodness. I I had a foundation, um, grew up in church, you know, and had a foundation because of my parents taking us to church and we sang in church and and whatnot. But I won't get into my story because uh, it takes too long. But I, I, when the Lord restored my relationship, because I walked away for a while, mm-hmm. but when he restored me, I haven't looked back since because it was just so real. It Isn't was so wonderful? real to me that second time around that um, yes. my life has never been the same. <laughs> and, you know, let me reassure and encourage anybody out there who's praying for a lost loved one. I said my grandmother was praying for my dad. She didn't live to see him come to the Lord because she passed away in about 1974, I believe it was. And he didn't come to the Lord until 1999 when he was 88 years old in his last year of life. Mm. 
But God is faithful, or his last week of life, I'm sorry. That's how faithful God is, and he listens to, he honors our prayers, and I'm just telling mothers everywhere, do not give up. Amen. (laughs) Amen. (laughs) We've gotten off on the right foot tonight. Yes, we have. (laughs) (laughs) Amen. That is a blessing. Not only for your, you know, not only for your mothers, for your children, but for other loved ones. Absolutely. I have sisters and, and brothers and other relatives that, you know, are, that I'm still very concerned oh, about. Yes, so that's, me too. that's encouraging. That's right. That's right. Never stop praying. Amen. Ephesians wow. 6.18. <laughs> Say that again. Ephesians 6.18. Always praying with all, you know, for, for everyone. Just never stop praying. Be praying all the time. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. We'll supplicate. Continue. How does that go? Uh, oh, oh, well. Maybe yeah. I'll break <laughs> Well, you know, I would love to stay there because I just get excited about the goodness of the Lord. I, I would love to stay there, but I do, um, I do want to give you opportunity to tell us how you started writing, mm-hmm. and then maybe that'll just take us into deliver me from evil. I know that this is like a long way down the chain of your, of your writing, though. But tell us how you started writing. What motivated you to start writing? Well, I was one of those people that never wanted to do anything else. I fell in love with words before I ever started school. I read everything. If there were words in front of me, whether they were on a sign or a cereal box or a book, I was reading them. So uh, early on, I knew I wanted to be a writer. And in fact, my husband, um, when we were, we've known each other forever, and we were walking home from school one day in junior high, and I, I remember telling him that day, I'm going to be a writer someday, and he, he kind of looked at me a little strange, and, but he remembers that to this day, and he says, I don't think I know anybody else who actually knew when they were that age what they wanted to do with their lives, and so writing has always been a passion. Now, that doesn't mean it automatically fell into place, and I just started publishing books right and left. You know, there was a lot of um, education and, and experience and growing up that needed to happen in the process, and um, I was actually doing a little bit of newspaper work and some odds and ends of writing before I became a believer. But when I became a Christian, and I was 26 at the time, Mm -hmm. um, I thought, wow, I bet I'm supposed to write books for God. (laughs) And thankfully, you know, that was really true, but I thought I was ready. You know, when you first get saved and you're on fire, and and there's nothing better than being around an on-fire brand-new believer, but there was a lot of maturity that needed to happen there first. So, Mm -hmm. So it was a good 10 years before I actually came to the place of of beginning to get my feet wet in the Christian publishing world, doing articles and uh, working on Christian newsletters and that sort of thing, and and eventually moving into a place of of beginning to publish books, both fiction and nonfiction. So there was a long process to get there to that Mm -hmm. point. Well, what I love, um, I'm glad, you know, that I met you once you're at this place, (laughs) 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 because uh, as, as as I was saying when I talked to you before, I like to read, but I don't read that much for enjoyment or for, you know, just casual reading because it's hard for me to find things Mm -hmm. that I'm interested in or that are safe reading for Christians. You know what I'm saying? I sure do. Good material. I mean, things that are not worldly or ungodly in a way that, you know, take your mind in places that you don't want it to go. And, mm-hmm. and so I, I, I actually enjoyed being able to read this, um, 
this book I know is is a novel and it is not based on a true story, but it's it is based on true stories, if you know what I mean, people. Um, exactly. It well, okay. There we go with the tunes. You see that morning. <laughs> I will we will come back after the tunes. <laughs> Has a tragic past shattered your future or your now? Don't let it. This is I'm Not the Woman I Used to Be. I'm Free with Minister Diane Jones. And we'll be right back after these. Get ready to laugh along with This Little Parent Stayed Home with Ali Lopreet. Friday evenings at 6, 5 central on Togedet.com. This is a truly realistic, no-nonsense, tell-it-like-it-is method that will have you laughing and crying, surviving while struggling, and hammering away at the hardships as you travel through the greatest journey of your life. Get empowered by joining thousands of other parents who have also decided to take a leap of faith into a double career with longer hours and half the pay simply because of the love they have for their children. Together, we are rebuilding a new economy that will support us rather than enslave us. Never again will we have to choose between raising our children and earning to provide for them. It won't be easy, but it will be worth it. For more on Allie and her success, check out her website, OurMilkMoney.com. So come get empowered with This Little Parent Stayed Home with Allie Lopreet. Friday afternoons at 6, 5 Central on Toginet.com. Equipping the Saints Ministries. Our mission is to equip and mature the people God calls to do the things they are called to do with confidence and boldness and to create soldiers for the army of the Lord and to impact our communities. If you are not local, you may participate via conference calls or we can make information available to you via email. Equipping the Saints Ministries is home-based in Maryland. You may write to us at Post Office Box 1616, Clinton, Maryland, 20735. Or email us at vir2us1 at verizon.net. Thank God I am Welcome back to I'm Not the Woman I Used to Be. I'm free on Toginet.com. The show dedicated to helping women find their way back to themselves after innocence was stolen by incest and abuse. Helping you heal. It's what we're all about. It's I'm Not the Woman I Used to Be. I'm free on Toginet. And now, back to your host, Minister Diane Jones. Okay, people, this is Miss Diane, and I am talking to Miss Kathy Macias, and I want Kathy to, oh, before the break, I was saying how I enjoyed reading the book, Deliver Me From Evil, because I like to read. Um, actually, I wasn't as into reading as you were, but in I remember in... Uh, high school seems to be when I really 
took an interest in reading and I used to read a lot of books in high school and so um, now I don't get to read for pleasure that often um, I'm, if I'm not reading or studying scripture or things for the ministry then I don't get to do much recreational reading so um, this was I felt for a good cause I'm not going to say that this was what what I would say entertaining because of the subject matter, but it was it was worth reading because it was for a good cause and the way it was done kept your interest and so you know it makes it nice for Christians and what I call peculiar people <laughs> because we're supposed to be different you know we're supposed to have a different interest different taste different way of doing things so I, I, I think it's good reading um, for, pe for people like me. So why don't you tell us about this book, Deliver Me From Evil? Well, you know, you mentioned earlier something about my Extreme Devotion series, which is the four-book fiction series based on the persecuted church around the world. I was actually tying the loose ends together on that series and talking with my publisher, which is New Hope and New Hope Publishers, and we were chatting about, you know, where do we want to go next? What other topic? You know, the, the persecuted church is a pretty heavy topic for a fiction series, and she knows that I, I really like to take tough topics on in my fiction. I don't really write what you would call escape novels or easy reading fiction novels. They're, they're really, um, I hope, entertaining, but it's, as you said, you know, they keep your interest. But they have a purpose. You know, they're parables with a purpose is what I call them. Yeah. And um, so we, we threw some ideas back and forth, and she actually brought up the, the topic of human trafficking, and it was, she said it was a real passion of hers. Now, I will admit to knowing about it. I, I knew there was such a thing, and, and it certainly seemed like a horrible thing, but honestly, I had no idea how prevalent it was, how widespread, and I never would have thought that it was something that went on right here in our own country. Mm -hmm. And she challenged me to do some preliminary research on it and, and then to get back with her. And so I did. I started checking around. I talked with um, investigative journalists. I spoke with law enforcement people, um, with quite a few people who were involved in ministry outreaches to survivors of this sort of thing, and even found a couple of survivors themselves and was able to talk to them. And I came away absolutely stunned. When I heard the facts, the figures, I saw faces put on these people um, who had endured beyond my wildest imaginings and thought, how can I not do this? And so I called the publisher and said, absolutely, I'm going to put together an outline. We're going to, you know, we'll start tossing the idea back and forth. And that's where we came up for, with the idea for the three-book Freedom Series. And we called it Freedom Series because we thought, you know, we are dealing with a tough topic here. Mm -hmm. and, and, and what a lot of people would call a dark subject. And, but I always tell people I don't write about dark subjects. I write about the light that shines in the darkness. And so mm -hmm. we wanted that to be the focus. So we called it the Freedom Series, even though we're writing about people who are in human bondage, who are basically modern-day slaves. And so that's how we came up with the, with the idea for the series. The first book, as you said, that when you read is Deliver Me From Evil, um, it goes on with special delivery and the deliverer who, you know, pulls it all together. So it is a series that follows the lives of a couple of primary um, young women. Actually, um, there are several people that come and go out of the book, but there is um, the main character, her name is Mara. 
Mm-hmm. And I have set her in San Diego on purpose. I wanted people to understand that this young woman, who when the first book opens up is 18, although she has been in this horrible lifestyle for 10 years, so being sold into it by her parents and sold to her uncle, who actually becomes her, her owner and, and keeps her in this horrible life. And so she has managed to survive this way for 10 years. And that's where the story opens, in San Diego, so that people would understand that it really is something that happens here. Because as shocked as I was by it, I thought there's got to be other people, too, that don't begin to realize that it could be in their own backyard. But mm-hmm. I also wanted them to understand, of course, it does happen in other countries. So the story has a subplot uh, set in the Golden Triangle of Thailand, where, which is such a oh a huge uh, place for, for drugs and prostitution and, and human trafficking, just a really, really tough place for anybody to be caught up in. And so I have a young woman named Chantra and her younger sister, Luan. And Luan is the one who actually carries on throughout the three books. And the lives of these young women caught up in, you know, thousands of miles across, away from one another in different countries, in different settings, and both being held against their will in a horrible life and, and yet um, longing for the freedom that only the deliverer can bring. And in the midst of that, I have a, a Christian family who is as far away on the spectrum of, of light and darkness as, as you can, as they could possibly be from what these poor young girls are, are enduring. They're a Christian family. The father's a pastor. Um, the young man who's, who's 18 is getting ready to go off to Bible college. They are in a totally different lifestyle, and yet their paths cross in Deliver Me From Evil, and it challenges them at the core of their faith and, and brings everything to a place where they finally have to look at, what do I really believe and what am I really willing to do here to walk in the footsteps of Christ? Right, right. And to get involved and to, I mean, when, when you talk about outreach, my goodness. <laughs> yeah, this is, not, this is not an easy ministry, and I tell people <laughs> it's not a Lone Ranger ministry. You don't go off on your own and you know, start knocking on doors and trying to rescue people, even though you may want to. This mm-hmm. is organized crime, and it's really important that we recognize that. It is, human trafficking is the second largest illegal um, industry in the world, bringing in something like $32 billion a year worldwide. That is not something that's going to be given up easily. It is, it is a hard, hard fight, and it's a dangerous one. But, you know, Christ has called us to the forefront to do that. The church is the one that needs to be um, knocking down the gates of hell and bringing these people home. And so that's the challenge here, it, it, to get involved, to find a way, and God has a way for each of us. Obviously, it's different. Not all of us will get involved in the same at the same level. But he is calling the church to action on this, and I'm hearing that call everywhere I go, and it's so exciting. Mhm. Mhm. I mean, I I want people to of course because I've read it, but I want people to also pay attention to the fact that like for instance, Mara was sold by her own parents. I mm-hmm. mean, people did you hear what Kathy just said? She was sold by her own parents into this trafficking, into this sex slavery to her uncle. And she didn't come from a family of of much love anyway, but her uncle was the one person, if I recall, that she kind of, you know, thought really loved her. Mm -hmm. But all along, 
I got the impression that all along he was just basically waiting for the day. You know, he was nice to her and everything because he was waiting for the day and hoping to get this opportunity. And not only did he force her into slavery, but he himself abused her. Yes, and that's that's so heartbreaking because it happens so often. It's just almost beyond beyond our, our imaginings that this sort of thing happens. And yet, you know, as your show and as your ministry proclaims, these this kind of brokenness happens all the time. And yet, you know, God does bring us out of it. He does bring healing. But it's still shocking when we come across a case like that. And that's why I talked to several um, people and found out that this sort of thing happens quite often. And we know it happens in other countries. For instance, if if a, a a country where maybe baby girls aren't as um, highly valued as boys, mm-hmm. and if, if a girl is born into a family that's already large and already poor, and um, someone comes along and offers some money for that baby girl, uh, very often that's what will happen. They will sell the child into that sort of, of slavery just to keep the rest of them alive. In this case, in the book, it was one where they um, pretty much made purposely made the decision to do this, and the uncle yes, had tricked them, tricked her into thinking she he really cared about her. Um, but you're right, he, throughout the story, he was just waiting for his opportunity to smuggle her across the border. And he was an absolute monster. I mean, oh my. Oh, yes. There's nothing glamorous about this lifestyle whatsoever. I mean, they break these women down psychologically, emotionally, Spiritually, they just take hope from them. They, they, they suck the life out of them in every way possible to keep them in this bondage. And the reason that this is so passionate for our ministry is because Christ tells us in, in the Word, not only that He came for our salvation, I mean, we, most churches focus on the salvation part, at least growing up. I remember that a lot. I mean, the salvation message, you know, uh, inviting people to know Christ, but we don't emphasize as much the fact that he also came to, in that salvation, he came to bind up the brokenhearted. Mm-hmm. He came to heal the sick. You know, he came to open the blinded eyes. That binding up of the brokenhearted, to me, that's where this comes in at. It's because when people have suffered these kinds of things, it's very hard for you to just talk to them about God or Christ. You You know, know, exactly, because it's just all they have known is darkness. And what you said earlier is so important. Because a lot of people have said to me, how is it possible that that so few escape and that this could be going on right around us? Why don't they try harder to get away? When you understand, especially with children, and and of course, you know, the younger they are, the more more money they bring on on this horrible market, but... um, the the captures them from the moment they take them captive. They um, psychologically break them down. They want to drive out any sense of hope from them, because once they're hopeless, um, then they don't even have to worry about them trying to escape. They they have nothing left, and that is their whole purpose: is just to place them in a place of darkness. They have starve them. They threaten them. They beat them. And there comes a point, especially with the younger ones, that they just they just give up. They, at first, they're hoping for rescue, but pretty soon that hope is gone. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And so from the outside, from the outside, it's so easy. I, I remember because I had a guest on my show um, last year, 
And she now, she now goes around continuously talking about this issue because she's a survivor. But here we are at the break, and um, I'll have to pick that up after the break. Okay. <laughs> Has a tragic past shattered your future or your now? Don't let it. This is I'm Not the Woman I Used to Be. I'm Free with Minister Diane Jones. And we'll be right back after these. The Story of Me is a captivating and inspiring account of a woman able to overcome incest, abuse, and neglect to find a second chance at happiness. It is a story for those who have loved and been rejected, who have dreamt and fallen short, who have survived abuse, molestation, rape, or incest. The story of me is very inspirational for those who may see or find themselves in Diane Jones's story. You may purchase your copy of the story of me online at www.authorhouse.com or any of the major bookstores. Everyday Autism Miracles with Shannon Pinrock. Friday afternoons at 2, 1 central on toginet.com. Life after an autism spectrum diagnosis doesn't have to be difficult. It can be joyful, happy, and filled with hope. Join Shannon Penrod, author, speaker, coach, and mom of a six-year-old recovering from autism for this inspirational hour of hope. She's even authored a series of children's autism books with her son, Jim. For more information about the books, Shannon, and Everyday Autism Miracles, go to her website, shannonpenrod.com. From there, you can also get to her other websites, blogs, and connections. On Everyday Autism Miracles, you'll hear stories from parents whose children have made miraculous strides. You'll also get the inside dish on therapies, treatments, supplements, and how to get funding to help you afford them. Miracles abound in the autism community. So tune in for Everyday Autism Miracles to listen, share, laugh, and surround yourself with hope. Everyday Autism Miracles with Shannon Penrod. Friday afternoons at 2, 1 central on Toginet.com. Thank God I am free. Welcome back to I'm Not the Woman I Used to Be. I'm free on Toginet.com. The show dedicated to helping women find their way back to themselves after innocence was stolen by incest and abuse. Helping you heal. It's what we're all about. It's I'm Not the Woman I Used to Be. I'm free on Toginet. And now, back to your host, Minister Diane Jones. Okay, I'm back, and I can't believe how time flies. I am talking on the air with Kathy Macias. She is a Christian author and writer, and I can tell that she loves the Lord. So let's um, pick up where we left off. I was saying um, that I had a guest on my show who was a survivor, who is a survivor of sex trafficking. And when I was preparing to have her on the show, or should I say before, um, she came on the show, I was having a hard time, even though I know what I experienced. My, my situation was so different being in the home, in my own home, being a victim of incest and abuse in my own home. It just unfolded so different. So it was, it was hard for me to grasp how 
someone could get caught up in this and why they couldn't escape, why they couldn't get away. But after listening to her story, it really changed my outlook. And then when I read your story, it coincided with the things that she was saying about, you know, how they 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 beat them, how they raped them repeatedly, how they, um, I think she was mentioning something about, you know, the first day that they threw her behind this couch and they left her there and, and she, they wouldn't even let her go to the bathroom. She couldn't go to the bathroom. She had to, you know, basically soil her clothes and they just humiliate and take all the fight out of these these especially if they get them as children, my goodness, but, but she wasn't a child. She was a teen. Um, and they just take the fight out of them. So it's, it's absolutely horrible. It, it is. And, you know, uh, of course, drugs play a big part in it, too. I don't know if um, any of your listeners have seen the movie Taken, but um, that kind of illustrates how they keep them drugged up at times, too, um, especially in the beginning. Anything that helps to control the, the victims is what they will do. It, that's the whole purpose, is to, just to gain complete control over them, and then they can pretty much do with them as they wish. Now, is, I think I just saw Taken. Is that the one where the father, who was kind of estranged from the daughter, he was... He was yes, yes. And then when she's taken, she and her friend are taken um, into this sort of life, um, he goes after them. And, of course, in the movie, he's able to rescue them. That's, that's very unusual. It was a movie, obviously. Um, normally, that doesn't happen that way. But it did show some things that helped um, illustrate how they do, um, how they can trick people into it, um, because as we were talking earlier about parents selling their own children into this, um, there's other ways, too. Obviously, they can be kidnapped, um, but one of the ways that they often do, as, as in the case in the movie, is someone just sets out that he sees someone that looks like an easy mark and, and befriends them, and, what, and this is very common, especially in, in like grammar school and junior high, um, some young person who's already held in captivity and um, is, is used in that way and is threatened that they have to do a certain thing. They may even allow them to go to a public school because they already have such control over them that they're able to do this. And they have them befriend another girl and invite her to the house or whatever. And that's pretty much the end of her. I mean, it, it happens quite often. It's one of the things um, you mentioned earlier that you heard me on the parents' plate, and that was the show. Yes, we were talking about some of the things that parents need to do to educate their children and to at themselves to, to put safeguards around them when a child comes home and says, you know, I want to go spend the night with so-and-so, and you don't know who so-and-so is, you really need to find out about that, because mm-hmm. even if it isn't this particular case, there can be so many other things. But that is a very common thing that happens here in this country. That's one of the ways that girls are lured into this without knowing what they're getting into. Now, that's my guess. That was her story. She said a, a friend that she met and ended up uh, becoming good friends with, and she thought that this was a good friend of, a good friend of hers. Mm-hmm. And then after about, I believe it was about, after about nine months, this friend basically sets her up, you know, oh, basically. Yes. Uh, she thought, I, I can't remember how she, she thought she was going to meet someone else or what, you know, when it all boiled down, she was, she was trapped. She was set yeah. up to be yeah. trafficked. And she said she was so messed up at the time anyway that she probably would have went along with it anyway just because she really, you know, needed a friend and she was just so broken already. So mm-hmm. that betrayal mm-hmm. 
that betrayal was really hard for her. Oh, yes. For this friend to do this to her because she had already been abused even as a girl, you know, Mm -hmm. before this all happened. And so I even in the book, I noticed and I just I was like, oh, I was getting upset because, you know, one of the girls later on who I believe her and her friend had gone to the beach. Oh, yes. You know, they had gone to the beach, they had skipped school that day. The girl was regretting how, you know, she had lied to her mother and only if she had went to school that day and not, you know, skipped school to go. I was like, oh, see, these are just doors. These are just yes, opportunities that's that right. people like this look for. Mm-hmm. That's what happened. They see those two young girls there by themselves. They watch for just that moment when they separate one from the other and one of them's gone. That's it. You know, it's just, it's an amazing thing. And in fact, law enforcement, when I talk with them about this, they said that is so common that a lot of times when they classify these, these young teens or the teenagers as runaways, but they're never found, they really assume that probably what happened was they did get sucked into that kind of lifestyle. Very often that's what it was, um, as opposed to actually they didn't really run away, or maybe they ran away thinking they were getting into something better. But either way, whatever it is, they probably got uh, somehow drawn into this uh, into this sex trafficking life, which is obviously no life and something that very few of them actually ever do get out of alive. Mm-hmm. Now, what I've been seeing on TV, too, um, the different stories, and I've, I've seen a couple of shows where they're also using things like um, offering jobs. Mm-hmm. Yes, that's you true. Know? Yeah, and, and and people go thinking they're getting some other kind of job, and then then they're caught up in this, and it's not, not what they thought it was going to be at all. Mm-hmm. Get them out, get them overseas, take their passports yes. uh, so that they can't leave, um, you know, and target them because maybe the family's having a hard time and they're looking for a better life to, you know, to make money. And, and so, you know, there's just things I was looking in, in a, um, you know, a common out here, we get the penny saver. I know in California, we oh, yeah. to Mm-hmm. I was looking at that, and you know, I was thinking back over how how often, even when I was younger, I remember seeing things like, you know, model search contests. Oh yes, you're right. Uh huh. Yeah. <laughs> Talent search or model search or, you know, work from home. I mean, even now, I think there's things that we just need to pay more attention to. Right. That's so true. You know. One of the things that I am so thankful for is that the Department of Homeland Security has on their website, on their um, on the, the part they have about human trafficking, you can go there and they have a video that shows what to watch for. Things like what you just said, stuff that we don't, it kind of goes by us unless we all of a sudden are thinking, wow, human trafficking is going on and looking for things. But if we're not aware of it, we may not even notice those those everyday things, whether it's something in the penny saver or, you know, something we hear on TV or something somebody else, a friend, so-called friend tells us about. But they have ways that, that we can educate ourselves and our children about what to watch for. And I really, really encourage people to go there and, and to watch. It's just a short video, but it will open your eyes not only to what is going on, but how you can spot it and what you can possibly do to help. Mm-hmm. I think that's great. Um, people, you know, if you get a chance or make make time to, to look at that video, but also think of some, some, 
you might you might remember this even more than than me, uh, Kathy. Mm-hmm. But you know, there were there were some good common sense things that families used to do. You know, chaperoning. Um, That's true. That's so true. <laughs> chaperoning, not letting your youngsters have the freedom, so much freedom that they have now, so much independence that they have now. There was a time that, that a young lady, you, her big brother had to go with her. That's right. You know, her dad or her mom had to take her. Um, mm-hmm. And nowadays it's not just girls. They're, even in That's this book, right, yeah. there was mm-hmm. references to um, boys being Yes, being that's trafficked. true. You're right. And being trafficked. Um, I know we've got about three minutes, but I, I want to make sure that you can at least tell people how to get your books, um, how to sponsor, uh, what ministry was that? That Well, you know the name of the ministry that's okay. sponsoring you. Um, well, have- um, the publisher is New Hope Publishers, and they can go to newhopedigital.com and, and find all of the books that, that I've done and, and, and see videos on the topic and, and, and read about it. Um, they can also come to my own website, which is Kathy, K-A-T-H-I, Macias, M-A-C-I-A-S.com. They can also just go to boldfiction.com and find me there. They can see videos that go with each of these books and explain what they're about. Um, they can contact me. They can uh, ask for resources about where they could get involved in various ministries and outreaches to um, human trafficking survivors and, and help in trying to stop all of this. So I would really encourage them to either come to New Hope Digital or to boldfiction.com to my website, and I would love to hear from them. If they click on contact, I will answer their emails. Great. Great, great. You did that pretty fast. <laughs> <laughs> yes, I did. Uh, well, I really do love to hear from listeners, so I really always encourage them to do that because, you know, everybody has a place in, in uh, this fight. And for some, it's it's a matter of prayer and finding out how more to pray more effectively, others to give, others to actually physically get involved. But um, the main thing is to, to take that first step and find out where to go to, to start this. Amen. Amen. Well, people, you heard it. You heard it from the author herself. Um, She does this from her heart, and I think that it needs to be something that becomes a part of each, each and every one of ours. Us? How should I say that? Of our hearts. Um, Maybe not this specific ministry, but getting involved, reaching out to the hurting, reaching out to the lost in the ways that are significant to them. It's very hard to tell someone who's been through something like this, Jesus loves you, without showing them the love of Christ. Amen. (laughs) Without, Without breaking down those defenses, without demonstrating, without you being his hands and his heart and his affection towards them. We've got to get involved. We've got to get involved. We've got to love um, those that are well don't need a physician. Amen? Amen. Amen. Thank you so much for joining me. I'm looking forward to reading your next book. Well, good, Diane. Thank you so much for letting me share. All right. You have a good night. You too. God bless. God bless. (laughs) 